Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random. Perdoli's host. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. Welcome aboard. Brrrr, if he is in the house as well as E2247. AVQ, always there. Melanie Keaton out of Barcelona, Spain. And remember, we the show on Sundays at 3 and the shows on Saturdays at 3. Those are rebroadcasts of generally Monday and Tuesday shows, sometimes a little bit in between if there's an issue with those two shows. So that's what those are, my friend. Eric Hayes is in the house. Uh, a, let's see who else is in the house. Alistair Waters. How you doing, my beautiful Alistair? And our beautiful Yvette Avery Herod is in the house, as well as... Paul Fleming. How are you doing, brother Fleming? And Eric Hayes, I think I called your name already. We're going to have a great show for you today. Uh, Breed says... Uh, let's see what we got. A former high-level FBI agent faces charges. I saw that for Aiden and, and sectioning Russ Charles uh, McGonigal, the former special agent in, in charge of counterintelligence in the FBI's New York office, is accused of working with Oleg Deripaska, De, De who has been on the U.S. sanction list since 2018. Mac, McGonigal uh, involvement with the uh, Russian billionaire involved taking secret payments for investigating one of the Repasca's rivals. He also worked to get the Repasca's off the U.S. sanction list in violation of federal law. Prosecutor Sergei, citizen who is former Soviet and Russian diplomat and federal court interpreter, is facing charges alongside McGonigal. Uh, McGonigal. Prosecutors alleged uh, Shestakov, Shestakov, 69, and McGonigal worked together to aid the Repaskas of the oligarch. Absolutely so. Uh, para ver, let's see what we got here. Um, uh, says documents. Drip, drip, drip sounds like a leaking classified situation. It'll pass. It's nothing like what Trump has been doing. So it'll pass. I don't have a concern about that. Anyway, we have a great show for you today. I want to play you guys an interview that I did. Well, actually, it's not an interview. It's a cop that called in. And, uh, you know, I, we, we got into our mode of talking that became pretty frank. I want you guys to take a listen to this and then give me your thoughts. Come on in, Kasten. My question is this. Yes. A little bit on racial disparity. Going all the way back to 1968. Yes, sir. I was in a, I was in a special reconnaissance platoon, mm -hmm. and I had a machine gunner that was black. Mm -hmm. And our lives depend on each other. Mm -hmm. And as the years went, as the year went on with all the racial strife back here in the United States, mm -hmm. he started hanging around with all the, I should say, the blacks that were having all this against the white people in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So I went down there one day. I called him up in front of all these other blacks. I told him to put his hand out, and I took out my knife real quick, and I cut the palm of his hand, and I cut mine. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you see any difference in the color of the blood? He said, no. I said, understand something. I said, if it gets bad and you get hit, I said, I'm coming for you. If it takes my life, so be it. But I'm coming for you. Mm -hmm. And I expect the same from you. Up to the present day now, with Black Lives Matter and everything else going on, why is it that none of the high-profile black Americans, LeBron, 
Sheila Jackson Lee or anybody else steps up and says, hey, you're bringing our race down. This is not right. You need to change your attitudes. But none of them speak up. None of them says anything. And then as a white person, if I brought anything like this up, then right away I'm condemned as a racist. Okay, let me let me ask you a question because, um, I, I'm, and by the way, first of all, I want to thank you for bringing up a subject that many would fear bringing up, especially to a black host. So you got my kudos right there, first of all. Now, secondly, um, I don't know if I quite understood the problem. What is this that you want Sheila and other prominent black well, people to do? Um, what, what I'm saying is you read every day about carjacking, sir. Uh, you read about people being accosted, everything on TV. And the majority of it is black Americans. That's all we see on TV. Right. And then my question is, is why don't the high profile black Americans that are in sports, baseball, football, Sheila Jackson Lee, anybody else, why don't they speak up on TV and say, you're disparaging our race. This is not right. You need to change your attitudes, but you don't hear a word out of them. I am so happy you brought that up. And, and you, you, you know, you brought up a lot of issues, Kasten. Let me first attempt with the first thing that, well, with one of the last things that you said. You said every time you look in TV and you see these crimes being committed, what do you see? Black folks committing those crimes, correct? Absolutely. And, right. and I feel oh. too much. Let, 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 let me stop you right there because, okay. you know, I think I, I made you say, a whole lot, which I'm happy that you did. And because you're going to help me point out some very important points right here. Have you ever been to a courthouse? I'm not talking about for a traffic ticket or anything like that, but a criminal courthouse. Absolutely. I was a police officer for 18 years. Okay, great. So let, let, let me point something out. Black people as a percentage commit more crime when not waited for social, well, for economics events. In other words, uh, black folk, Latinos and others, when you look at it, when you pass it through a social economic prism, you find that if you go to Appalachia, where it's predominantly white, the level of crime, and I did all this research, that's why I'm glad you brought this up, because a lot of people think exactly like what you're saying as well. But I think what we ought to do as a society, I love everybody, I don't care who the hell you are, and I'm glad for the story you gave about you and your your the guy in the foxhole with you, because that is where we need to be as a country. You're absolutely right. But here's the deal, brother. Um, what happens is what our society has done is it creates narratives. And that narrative about the evil uh, black man out there to get you is a, it's such a, a narrative that is presented on screen for Houstonians. Are you here in Houston? Yes, sir, I am. Okay. It's for Houstonians to see on TV. Every, every bad crime that you see on TV, mostly it's going to be a Latino or a black person that you see on TV. But if you effectively look at all the crime that has occurred in the city on that day, you would see that that is not the majority of the crime that has occurred. But that is what you will see on TV. You're absolutely right. Now, if you are looking at a society, if white, if white Houston or white America goes on to TV and every time they see a crime, they see a black person or a, a person of color, they are going to make that equation that says black people, crime, Latino people, 
crime. That's what they're going to see. And I can't blame them for seeing that, right? And that's why I take the stance that I take with my program. My program isn't to say, here is this white guy who just called me on the phone and he said that Sheila Jackson Lee should talk to black people and tell them to stop being criminals. First of all, that's the, the, the people that you see at TV are such a small percentage of the black population. If Sheila were to get up and say black people stop acting that way, she would be acknowledging that those criminals that you are seeing on TV are somehow representative of the black population at large. My wife goes to a predominantly black church. My daughter went to a predominantly white school. All right. Guess what? And, and she also goes, my daughter also goes to a predominantly black church. Guess what she has noticed among these different groups of people that she have, that she's very close to this, her, her white friends in school and her black friends in church. The behavior, et cetera, are pretty darn similar. What we have... Well, if I, go ahead, come on. I stop you for a moment? Sure. The point you made just a couple of moments ago yes. about black Americans being portrayed on TV and the crime, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have many black friends. Yes. Okay. That's not, you know, in no way. I mean, I love them dearly. They're brothers to me. Right. But what I'm saying is when you see this portrayed in the media on TV all the time mm -hmm. over a large white populace and they see that these young blacks with the hoodies on mm -hmm. and everything else are committing the crime, then you can't help but understand that a lot of white people that don't sit down and rationalize it, as you just stated, mm -hmm. that they say, well, overall, this is the way... They Thirteen percent of the black population is, yes. and 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 by God, you know, the, 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 you know, this is this is bad. We Kasten, don't want to deal with this. So let me talk and to you, Caston. Caston, that is where you come in, Caston. You're a smart dude, aren't you? You're a smart dude. And you know, the, the society is only going to change when all of us make the change or, or, or either we make the change or we also force the change with our, you know, with our persuasive powers. If, if you listen to my programs all over that where I give, I am not the black guy that comes out and, and just start attacking white folks who seem to say racist things or seem to say certain things that are unkind. You don't see me doing that. What I try to do is I try to see things through the eyes of the person that I'm talking to. And the reason I try to do that is most people I've realized in society are good people and they're good people with with racist feelings. They're good people with racist ideas and some folks are going to slap me for saying that but here's what I mean. People didn't become that way out of just thin air. We have a, an entire society whose job it is to, to create this chaos because believe it or not and I'm going to go a little bit in the weeds here but I'm going to ask you to stick with me. Our economic system depends on racism and I don't mean the way you may think it depends on white guys like you right and white folk looking at Latinos and looking at black folk and be concerned about what they're doing because the, the, the way the economic system works it, it 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 pilfers everybody you it pilfers you as a white guy it pilfers me as a black guy a black Latino black Caribbean dude it pilfers it pilfers everybody but the only way they can continue doing that is to create these animals so when you watch TV, uh, crime look a certain way, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. You know, there's uh, a... Well, let me... Uh, go ahead. Uh, let me bring you up Dale, on one thing. I wrote back on the Miami Police Force. Yes, sir. And uh, once the area 
I rode was predominantly black, mm-hmm. Haitian, Puerto Rican. Yes. One side was called the pit. Mm-hmm. The other side was called the swamp. Mm-hmm. And the pit was where all the Puerto, Rican, Puerto Ricans and Haitians lived, and mm-hmm. the swamp where all low-income blacks lived. Mm-hmm. And I was raised never to be prejudiced by my family. Never. Never have been in my life. Mm-hmm. But as a white police officer riding an all-black area mm-hmm. and dealing with the same thing day in and day out, mm-hmm. you cannot help but getting somewhat prejudiced. Because I used to see black guys shining their cars, getting them just absolutely beautiful, and they'd get, you know, they'd be dressed to the nines with the shirt and the coat and all that and getting mm-hmm. in their Cadillac. Mm-hmm. And then I would see the poor black mother with three little kids traveling along behind her with a shopping cart full of clothes mm-hmm. going to the laundromat. Right. And and I would go, what is wrong with this picture? And, uh, but can and I, the same thing, and, and like I said, going all the way back to that time, 71, 72, and it carries all the way over to right now. There's no father structure. There's no guidance. There's no value. There's no common sense. All right. Let me, let me, let me push back a, li- a, a bit there. Um, and the reason I, I want to tell you, remember I spoke earlier about a lot of these issues being socioeconomic, right? And there's a Correct. genesis for all of this. Uh, you already gave me the impression that you are acknowledge pigmentation for some for all practical purposes skin deep i have a whole book i wrote about uh this particular particular issue but i'm not going to go there now but everything that you just said right there about the black folks that you've seen in that in not the in the swamp i guess the part that you look in right I can ride to a certain part of America with mostly white people. I tell you, I could tell you a story about my daughter in Ohio, in the Ohio River Valley. Um, and that is the same behavior you get. Socioeconomic behavior is a thing. But what happens is while it is highlighted on TV or when you are a cop because you were in Miami and not in Timbuktu, Ohio, that is what you saw. Not often would folks speak the way you just spoke about black folks, about the white areas in Appalachia. The, the picture is bad that you just showed. The guy shining his car, taking care of himself and not of the mother with three kids who is he impregnated but I'm saying that's not a racial thing you saw it in a black neighborhood but it's not a racial thing because it's something you will also see totally agree with you right but you know I was just trying to state the point yes. that being a white officer in an all black area right and seeing the same thing right. every day every day while I'm patrolling even though I was raised without any prejudice whatsoever it got it you prejudice yeah. into your mind. And let me tell you what I what I expect of you as a police officer though, sir. And this is where training is supposed to come in because believe it or not, like I said, I see things through the eyes of others. And if you're a white officer in a black neighborhood having to address black persons doing bad things and also maybe being racial towards you because of their own experiences, I can see how the animosity builds. I can see that through your eyes. What I'm saying, however, you as a professional, your training should still keep a particular modus operandi. When I march with Black Lives Matter, and I have marched with Black Lives Matter before because I have seen cops do the things that cops do 
to people who have your sentiment, the sentiment that you just gave, sir, actually tells me that under a particular condition, you could have behaved that way. Am I right? Well, yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, okay, you know, so let me stop you there. Let me stop you there because that, that's that's what I'm saying. I, we are all humans, right? And we have these behavior types. Now, that said, the reason I march with these guys, I'm saying we have to change the modus operandi. And you as a yeah. professional, you are the professional. You are the professional, right? We have to instill in your training. You know, when you remember when you're in the military, uh, you had to learn muscle memory. Certain bullets start flying. You had to learn how to react before your mind gets involved. What happens with a lot of cops is their muscle memory has not been trained that correct or have not been trained correctly. Yes, they're calling you names. They're disrespecting you. They're doing all these things. But what is your name? A peace officer. Well, if I can say on that subject matter yes. that you just brought up as far as training. Yes. Let's go back to George Floyd mm-hmm. and the other three officers. I have to admit, I have somewhat empathy for them because mm-hmm. what I'm saying is these were newbies on the force. Yeah. And when, when you're a newbie on the force, you're on probation. And, uh, I can't remember the main guy that was holding George Floyd down. Yeah. But he was a see he was a senior officer. Right. So this is just like being in the military, my friend. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a PFC and I see my captain doing something. Right. I'm gonna speak up against my captain. No, no I'm gonna be won't. cleaning out gre- I'm gonna be cleaning out grease traps for the next three years. And so these young officers, they're seeing this and in their mind, they're going, Yes, this is wrong. This should not be scared to death to speak up because this guy would write on an efficiency report. And very simply, these guys are thinking about their family, support for their family, and they get right. fired. Right. Well, look, let me let me tell you, Kristen. Uh, first of all, keep listening to my show. Keep calling in. Uh, and uh, what I like about the, the conversation is we can have a frank conversation. And I think if 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 we start doing more of this, looking through other people's eyes, and you yourself, I want you looking through the eyes of those people that you've became prejudiced against, and and ask what the genesis is of. Of how they are. It didn't, none of this happened in a vacuum. People didn't get the way they were in a vacuum. And if, if more of us were preaching this narrative, this proper narrative that, you know, that the bad guy, whether white, black or blue or whomever didn't get that way out of the blue. And those are the things that I like to figure out. We, we can either want to make a positive change in society or just keep fighting among folks. And I chose well, or I choose to make a positive change. Well, I'll tell you real quickly, and then we'll let it go. As far as the George Floyd thing and the other young officers, you have to admit yourself, some of us have a weak backbone, some of us have a strong one. I've got a very strong one. I say it like it is. Yeah. And if I was one of those officers, I would have gone over there and I would have pulled them off Floyd mm-hmm. in a heartbeat, whether it cost me my I think, job look, or not. Look, I think you're a good person. I honestly think you, you called in and we could have this conversation and I, I think you're a good person. Keep calling, keep listening. But I do think that there, there, there are some streaks that I heard in some, uh, there, there are some stereotypes I heard in the words that you say, but we tackle that some other time. But I really do appreciate your call though, sir. All right, my friend. Have a good one. You have a great one now.
we all right folks i hope you you enjoyed that understand the point of view or where i'm coming from i do want to address something that is important that daniel Ledo said and and then corroborate then then uh, kind of echoed by jack smith because this is important and i hope when i explain you'll understand the ignorance that too many have about it and uh, actually i'm gonna i'm gonna fuse something that john smith said something that daniel Ledo said as well as Bridge MCP. And it goes this way. Daniel says, the problem in the black community is not socioeconomic. It is due to a broken culture. What broken culture? Here's the interesting thing. If we look at white America, there is no white America. There's uh, there's a the white America that has an Italian tilt. There's white America that has a German tilt, white America that has a Dutch tilt. All those things are true. All right. But I think you're talking about a behavior pattern. Let's 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 back up now into your statement. It's not social economic. It is a broken culture. First of all, it is clearly evident that you don't know what black culture is. First of all, there isn't black culture. There are many black cultures, just like there are many white cultures, okay? It, it's important for, and, and Bridge, when she says white, white do not have a culture, what I'm talking about is you have, when I talk about white, I talk white Italian and all, all these other issues, okay? So here's the deal. I am from Panama. I'm a black person from Panama. My ancestors, most of them came from the Caribbean, specifically places like Jamaica, etc. Okay? My culture is very distinct or different than my black American wife who is also black probably from a from a genotype pretty darn similar because we probably both came from parts of West Africa. Okay? Now, but our cultures are different. There is nothing wrong with either of these cultures. You many want to equate when they see crime as a black thing and somehow then equate that black thing in crime, the, the crime and equate that with somehow there is a broken culture. That is one of the most ludicrous statements one can make, which shows that you have not been around or engulfed into a whole bunch of black folks. I tell you what, you should, you should meet white people who live comfortably in a black environment. You should do that. When I say a black environment, I'm talking about an American black environment. And you'll see the statements that they make. You should do that because all of all of you, meaning Smith and Ledo, don't have a clue about what black culture is. Black culture is actually, and, and the part of black culture that I know here in the United States when I came, I got into a, a family in Brenham, Texas, and was, you know, the, 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 the love and all that, that sort of thing in there. You don't know what you're talking about. I come to the, I come to Houston or Austin was the same thing. You guys don't know. You look at crime and you assume that TV shows you black guys doing crime with pants falling off. You go into certain parts of town and you see that and you paste that in on top of the entire a group of people with this pigmentation. 
I ask you, do what my daughter did. Go to Appalachia. Go to those areas in those mountains. And you want to see degeneracy that makes what you think is degeneracy here in Houston look tough? Go there. By the way, I have. And I never once, I never once looked at it as that is how white people, that, that is a something genetic to white people as you would try to imply that somehow the way you see crime on TV from white producers, from white producers that are that have no empathy, while a lot of other crimes are occurring in, in Houston that never gets TV play, a lot of wives are be getting beaten, beaten up and their husbands taken into custody, but you never see that on TV, right? You never see it on TV. So therefore, instead of Daniel Ledo and Smith coming to politics done right, and learning, learning what you need to learn if you want to make a comment about black, quote unquote, black culture, before you do that and, and embarrass yourself to those people who know, you should try to get involved. You should try to lower your, 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 your prejudice, prejudicial beliefs. You try to be a part you know, the, the, the one thing with me, personally, Berto, I live in every society. I've lived among white people, Chinese people, Caribbean people, you name it. All around. I've had roommates. I've lived in a house with five white guys and myself. And the reason I'm saying this is to let you understand that I am not coming to you guys from somebody who's just making things up like Ledo, who has never lived among anybody that he, that he likes to talk about. I've intimately been involved, intimately been involved with every single race at every single level. Let me repeat. I've been with... In, involved in every fashion with every single race in every single fashion during my time, both in Panama and the United States of America. So I have what it takes to give the entire story. Very important. I think I will. You, you can't change somebody's mind who is predisposed to be prejudiced. You can't change who who defines their identity as having to be prejudiced. I don't have to want I don't need to change their minds. But the minds that are getting changed are the thousands of people that sees this, the thousands that are going to read uh, the commentary and the responses to the commentary. So every single one of you of good, good standing in this chat, your words mean a lot. When, uh, uh, when, when Bridge makes her statements and, and Rodnan makes a statement as Peggy Lopez makes her statements, and, and, and so forth. Those statements are on the internet forever. And it's associated with this feed forever or for as long as Facebook lasts and YouTube lasts and whatever. And it makes a difference. I have the emails to prove that it makes a difference. You know, some people can't, uh, some people can't drop that they were once ignorant. I was once ignorant on many issues. I fixed myself with the help 
of others. Some people just won't do it. I don't say they can't do it. Some people won't do it. Who will you be? Lee Grant says, when I glance at TV these days, it's show about uh, it, 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 it a show about a black hero protagonist and the commercials feature interracial couples. Where are these black criminals? I'm talking about the news, but I'm glad that you saw that because the news would make you believe that most of the people who have my hue are criminals. The interesting thing about it is <laughs> it, it, when, when you analyze, when you analyze the perception that TV news gives you, and once you believe it, you have capped to their stupidity, right? Because um, <laughs> I, I, I always find it amusing when, uh, in, in fact, I, I didn't mention this with the brother that I was talking to, the white police officer. You know, uh, it always amuses me that somehow the people that have been most abused in this country are the ones that some say they fear the most. I repeat, the people that have been most abused in this country, the people that have allowed themselves to be abused in this country, somehow are the ones that are most feared. That is how effective the, the, the plutocracy has created fear within the majority population so that they can have further control over you. Because... How can that be? You were able to enslave black people. You were able to redline black people. You were able to do all these things. And somehow you want to say that they scare you? That is how effective propaganda is. And once, you, once we get over that, we can then live in Harmony. Thank you very much, Lee Grant. I still want you in the studio with me, Lee. Um, but, you know, it is so important. And one of the things I want to do with this show is break all these things that make no sense. Right. It makes no sense whatsoever. When you sit there, it is like what the police officer said. Egberto, everybody's not going to analyze things like you. To which I reply to him. Great. That's what you are there for. Now that you know, you help be multiplicative with telling the story. But anyhow, I got another video for you, beautiful people, and everybody in my show, everybody, you're all beautiful. Let's go ahead. It turns out that El Senor Biden just thought that there may have been a coup. Check this out. It turns out, a new book is out, uh, that the Biden administration, all as they were preparing for uh, the transition, they were assuming that there was a good likelihood of an attempted coup. So they had 70 different possibilities that they were going through without any American realizing how seriously they were taking this uh, in the background. Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. You and you do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute, that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. You. 
some homa that almost didn't happen. And if you listen carefully, underneath hell to the chief, you can almost hear it, right? The collective exhale, collective sigh of relief, because that transfer of power, like any other in modern American history, almost didn't happen, peacefully or otherwise. Just two weeks earlier, the disgraced, twice-impeached ex-president had incited a violent and deadly attack on the Capitol with the intent of disrupting an American tradition enshrined in the Constitution. It's a point of pride for those of us who live here in the United States of America, a tradition that is admired and envied the world over. At the heart of our republic is the guarantee of the peaceful transfer of power. Standing on the west front of the Capitol in 1981, President Ronald Reagan described it this way. The orderly transfer of authority as called for in the Constitution routinely takes place as it has for almost two centuries. And few of us stop to think how unique we really are. In the eyes of many in the world, this every four-year ceremony that we accept as normal is nothing less than a miracle. Every president in our history has defended this orderly transfer of authority, except one. Except one. Now, veteran reporter Chris Whipple is out with some incredible new reporting on the extreme steps the incoming Biden administration took behind the scenes to prepare for the possibility that Trump would attempt a military style coup in order to block the peaceful transfer of power. From that new book, quote, Biden's team anticipated obstruction, delays in getting personnel in place and a concerted effort to impede the transfer of power and much worse. They prepared for, quote, unconventional challenges of which there were too many to count, including this ominous possibility, quote, an increase in the level and intensity of social protesting and government response. According to Biden's transition chairman, that was the, quote, euphemism, euphemism, euphemism of the year. Government response was code for Trump sending troops into the streets, perhaps declaring martial law. No one in the Biden camp would say publicly that they feared Trump might stage a coup, but privately they were taking precautions. Is it something Thing we were concerned about and thought about, had plans about? Absolutely. We had a bunch of smart people sitting around a table night and day saying, okay, what are the plans? One of the key questions was, what's going to happen with Trump and the military? You know, you're in trouble when doomsday planning for a possible military coup by the outgoing president ends up on your to-do list. Chris Whipple's new book, The Fight of His Life Inside Joe Biden's White House, is out today. Take me through this book. Well, you began, it begins with the transition, the, the most fraught and most dangerous transition since the Civil War and the bloodiest, as it turned out. Um, it was absolutely ex extraordinary. I talked to Bob Bauer, who was the legal counsel uh, for the transition. He's the one who described 70 different event eventualities they were preparing for, in, including they stopped at 70 because that was that was all they could really deal with. Uh, but the most uh, dangerous of which would have been a military coup. But while all that was going on, Nicole, um, the really extraordinary thing was this untold story I came across of 
a Trump staffer, an obscure a deputy White House chief of staff, a New Zealander. He used to work for Mitt Romney. He was in charge of his transition, wound up at the Trump White House. Um, he wasn't crazy about Trump, um, but he stayed until January 6th and beyond. And he was the guy who quietly kept the wheels of the transition turning in a kind of sub Rosa operation under Trump's nose and without his knowledge. It's this extraordinary story. And he had people like Josh Bolton, the former uh, Bush uh, chief of staff and others talking to him as kind of a lifeline, talking him off the ledge, telling him you cannot quit because otherwise we won't have a transfer of power. I think that is a report that um, it, it should give everybody pause. And for those who are looking at those folks on the right that are supporting Donald Trump as patriots, this should be the nail in the coffin for anyone who was thinking about giving this guy another opportunity to hold power in this country. The reality is, as we've been saying for, for a long time, this guy is a clear and present danger. You cannot give this guy access to the country again you cannot make this guy have security clearance again or any additional security clearance or ability to hear all the things that this country is doing itself around the world because again this man is a clear and present danger and there's nothing patriotic about him in fact there's a good likelihood that for self-preservation and for his own sake he will sell this country out so fast before he even takes office Absolutely. So, hey, guys, sorry about that. I, I went through I did a quick search. I had a whole bunch of things that I, I, I made over the weekend and I thought this was one of them. But anyhow, um, Robert Davenport. Thank you, my brother, he says, as uh, for the super chat. Thank you so kindly for the super chat, brother. And welcome aboard. I don't think I saluted you yet. Welcome, Paul Fleming. Welcome, Robert Davenport. And welcome, I think, Peggy Lopez and uh, Daniel Ledo. I don't think I called you guys out. And you know, I like to call out everybody. Uh, let's see. He says, as Bridge MCP correctly noted, this is a member of the PDR Posse. Paying attention. LOL. You know what, Brother Davenport? Thank you. Thank you for the super chat. And thank you for paying attention. I, that's why I love my peeps, because we are in this, man. But here's the deal. I guarantee you, you hadn't seen this one, because I just processed this one just before the show. So this one is for all my peeps. Check this one out, then we'll take it on the other side. Well, it turns out that Senator Manchin has something in common with Bernie Sanders. They believe he believes you don't need there doesn't need to be any commission to re-examine Social Security as they go through this budget ceiling ridiculous stance. But he also thinks something else that I tell you what, let's go ahead and play it and then we'll take it on the other side. You think that the White House should come to the table and talk to Republicans about some cuts in spending in exchange for raising well, the I debt ceiling? At the time, Vice President Joe Biden did exactly that. But you just 20, heard Dick Durbin, the number two Senate Democrat, saying times are different now and should be. I, I, we just respectfully disagree. And anything about it is every American has to live within a budget. If they don't, they're in trouble. 
financially. Every business that's successful has to live within the budget. Every state has to live within the budget. Didn't the federal government have some guardrails that say, hey, guys, you're getting over, you're overreaching here and you're overspending. But then pick your priorities. That's all. The priorities is the security of our country, opportunities for people and taking care of the most vulnerable and making sure the people that have earned it through basically their uh, Social Security and Medicare are protected. Then talk and look at the ways. Well, let's talk about Social Security and Medicare as part of these negotiations mm-hmm. over the debt ceiling. You are suggesting a new committee to come up with ways to make Medicare and Social Security more financially Secured. stable. Um, I want to be clear there. there. Are you talking about any cuts? No benefits. Cuts. No cuts to anybody that's receiving their benefits. No adjustments to that. They've earned it. They've paid into it. Take that off the table. But everyone's using that as a leverage. Receiving their fault. benefits now or at... You want to look at everything. Is it now or the future? Well, you have to look at people that basically, where are they in their working age? What's going on here? But the bottom line is Social Security and Medicare basically is running out of cash because we stop at a certain level when people pay into FICA. So you're open to cuts and benefits for future risk. I'm open to basically raising the easiest and quickest thing we can do is raise the cap. Oh, that's a that's a tax. Raise the age. No, no, no. Forget the age. Okay. At 150, I think it's 150, 154,000. You quit paying. So. So if you're getting a paycheck now in West Virginia, in a state like mine, the demeaning income is much lower than that. They're paying 100 percent of the tax in wealthier areas are paying very small percentage of that tax. Your uh, colleague, Bernie Sanders, tweeted the last thing we need is another commission to propose cuts to Social Security and Medicare. I agree with him. Bernie and I agree on that. You don't need a committee to, to look at cuts. And that's what they're using and weaponizing it. Can't you look and find out in government where you can be more efficient? more basically prudent with the taxpayer's money and quit wasting it, don't you think? And we all talk about waste, fraud, and abuse. That's an easy thing to do, but no one looks at it. Wow, I can't believe that I agree with a part of what Manchin had to say. After all, he says, let's take the cap off of Social Security taxes. In other words, while you only pay Social Security taxes up to maybe we make $150,000 or so, what he wants is he's telling you, let's go ahead and zoom it up. Take it all the way to the top. Let everybody pay in that percentage of Social Security tax. And the wealthy people start paying. You know what? We could actually get a lot more services. And who knows? Maybe even a little drop. Then you know what else is great? Some of it can go into Medicare for all or healthcare for all. Hey. Hey. Um, if we have Manchin talking like that, you see, he realizes that 60% of the people in his state or living living with necessary support from the government. So maybe he's sort of realizing he has to protect not only the oil men, not only the plutocracy, but the people in his own state. If he intends to be there for any longer time, that is. Absolutely so. And there it is. Um, I, before I put that on the screen, I went to check and it seems like uh, CNN as well has, has pointed this out. I was a bit concerned about putting that on and I checked Snopes and couldn't find it. But this is what uh, Michael Rodden told me to put on the screen. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Wow. But you know what? I have people called my other program. 
that I've actually mentioned that. Uh, at Egberto, let's see, Bree says, just pay back the money owed, but I don't trust him. When or your spouse dies, who gets the money? One of them loses. Yep, yep. ABQ says Medicare for all would actually save nearly half a trillion compared to the current for-profit system. Exactly. That is old news to those who paid attention. All right. Uh, Bridge MCP. I am glad you said that. All right. Let's see what else we got here before I go. Um, uh, Paul Fleming says forced birth in a country that condones mass shootings isn't about all lives matter. They want you to get there, get here, then you're on your own. That is so true. And not only that, the, the All Lives Matter people are the same ones who want the death penalty, right? And you know how many people have been on death penalty that we found out, uh, you know, they weren't really deserving of the death penalty. All right, squealing down. Keep on sending me messages, folks. Uh, we have... CNBC wages up to $147,000 are currently taxed for Social Security. And I think all monies are taxed for Medicare. I think it's, uh, what, 3% or something? Because I got to pay my own Medicare taxes as a sole proprietor. Okay, AVQ, you're right. He says, whoa, he actually is talking correct. Yeah, Manchin was talking correct. <laughs> but then uh, Robert Davenport took a little bit of a different position. He says, Manchin is proven even a broken clock whose hands do not move is right twice a day. I got you, brother. I got you. AVQ then says, Medicare for all would actually save, I read that one already, uh, too many disloyal corporatists and white supremacists allowed to be in government and military, but we can mitigate that. John Smith says, uh, ABQ, that's exactly the same thing that was said about the original Medicare program. It was projected to be just $98 billion in costs, but now it costs 10 times that. You know why it costs more? Because we have more people and because we increase the amount of services it provides. And guess what kind of services those are? Services that help humanity. You know, I like when Republicans come out and say things like, you said it was going to cost this and now it costs that. But you're not comparing apples to apples, right? Because remember, as we mature as a country, and as we get more humane, we find out we can afford to have a better country. We can afford to have people live a better life. So why not do it? Welcome to Politics Done Right. Gray, Grayer Brad One says, too many, oh, I didn't read your name before, Grayer. You, you said too many disloyal corporatists and white supremacists allowed to be in government. Sorry for not calling you out earlier, Gray. I love to call out everybody that I see. And if for some reason I have not called you out, Lee Grant, I think I called you out. Please let me know. Uh, what else we got here? Daniel Lado, not a single culture nor a conglomeration of all cultures that have influenced them on a regional or socioeconomic basis, but a culture based on your skin hue exclusively to or universally common. No, you do not. Doesn't mean white people have no cultural culture, just not a culture based on their race. The guy I thought was pretty clear, but maybe, uh, maybe Brother Ledo needed a further explanation. 
Big Pharma Insurance, that's why you're right, Bridge MCP. And E2247 says, no natural human person needs $1 billion. It's not only that they don't need it, E2247, they didn't earn it. They did not earn it. And anyone, outlaw, anyone getting more than a million dollars in a single year. I couldn't agree more. Bridge MCP says, 21 degrees and 8 inches of snow. And it's cold here at 61 degrees, but it got down to 35 this morning. Or when I woke up, it was 35. I don't know if it was any lower or any higher. Because I went to bed about 3 o'clock this morning and got up about 6.30. Yeah, 6.30. I got up at 6.30. Answered emails on my phone in bed because I really didn't feel like getting up. Because the last thing I did was worked out. You know, so. 61 to 35. Come on, Bridge, be nice. I know it's cold as hell, but be nice. I'm from the tropics. When I came to New York, I enjoyed that temperature out there in New York. It was like heaven. Every case says, Bridge MCP, go skiing. And you know what? She could actually go skiing in her yard or, or, or snowboarding in her yard. Uh, Robert Davenport says, please note for me, even one military industrial spending package passed that came in on budget. Times change and cost projections are not always accurate. Spend to improve human lives. Exactamente. I put 90% top marginal income tax on income above 10 million a year, 70 top marginal income on income above 2 million a year, but the specifics are negotiable. I like that. I could live with that. I mean, I, I could definitely live with that. Um, um, anyway, it's time for my quick ask here because we are at 56 and we got to get out of here pretty soon. So what I'd like to ask everyone who's listening to the show today to please become a part of our posse. Go ahead and hit that join button on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, uh, you can also hit the, uh, the join button, I think, on Facebook. Uh, you can support us on PayPal. How do you do that? Go to politicsandright.com slash paypal politicsandright.com slash paypal to support us on paypal you can support us on patreon politicsandright.com slash patreon patreon is spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n p-a-t-r-e-o-n support us uh if you don't if you're not on youtube you can still become a part of the posse on youtube by going to politicsandright.com slash youtube and if you want our books go to politicsandright.com slash books help us raise raise the funds to keep this going you guys are the ones who've kept it going for years. It's pretty great. Uh, Bruce says, sorry, I missed you. We'll catch up tomorrow. Bruce, uh, thank you so kindly for even stepping in, brother. You are family. Uh, let's see, store. You can su support us at the store as well. Politicsandright.com slash store. And of course, you can find all the ways to support us at politicsandright.com slash support. Politicsandright.com says support. Robert Davenport says the PDR posse left, right, and in between, just like America. That's who we are. I love everybody. And I, as you can see, the conversations that I have is respectful with everybody and to try to see through their eyes. Where I fail, I try to then correct myself. If you pointed out that I failed, I also try to improve. That is what we should be all about. Anyway, folks, thank you so kindly for being here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. 
And I know you guys know how I end this program. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.